0: And now to the ongoing crisis
1: in Nicaragua. Human Rights Watch became the latest group to slam Nicaragua's ongoing political crackdown. In Nicaragua, the government of President Daniel Ortega has arrested more than 20 people over the past month. The list includes political opposition leaders, journalists, presidential hopefuls, and businessmen. A scathing report from the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights says the Daniel Ortega government has detained five presumed presidential candidates, at least 20 opposition leaders, human rights defenders and independent journalists. The crackdown in the Central American country has sparked international outrage, with the country's opposition saying Ortega is trying to eliminate any possible challengers ahead of the November presidential election.
0: Many Latin American governments are condemning the president there, who keeps arresting political leaders who oppose him.
1: Now, critics say Ortega, who once fought against the country's Samosa dictatorship, is becoming increasingly authoritarian himself. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is the take. Daniel Ortega has been president of Nicaragua twice, first between 1985 and 1990. He started a second term in 2006 and remains president today. During his current term, lawmakers changed several laws to facilitate his reelection. This November, Nicaraguans are scheduled to go to the polls to pick a new president, but there may not be enough candidates to bring people out to vote. To understand more about why, I sat down with Al Jazeera's Latin America editor, Lucia Newman, to explore Nicaragua's present and past. Lucia, the government of Daniel Ortega arrested at least 21 people in June, among them several journalists, five presidential hopefuls, eight political opposition leaders, and two businessmen. So what can you tell me about some of these people and why there have been so many arrests? The
0: list of the people who have been arrested is very broad, very surprising. They include some business leaders, banking leaders who have not been, shall we say, cooperative with the government, especially in terms of economic sanctions that have been slapped on by the United States on members of the government, particularly the Ortega family. But it also includes, for example, Miguel Mora, a journalist, a very prominent journalist from 100% News, who is also a presidential hopeful, Cristiana Chamorro, who is the daughter of former president Violeta Chamorro, and who also announced that she was hoping to be a presidential candidate. She is, of course, a member of the more conservative opposition and is linked to the newspaper La Prensa as is her brother, Pedro Joaquin Chamorro, editor of La Prensa, who's also been arrested, her cousin, Juan Chamorro, who was another presidential hopeful, and the list goes on. But the most interesting, for me, part of all this is the number of revolutionaries, people who fought side-by-side, comrade-in-arms of Daniel Ortega during the original Sandinista Revolution.
1: As you mentioned, among those taken away by authorities are Sandinista leaders. They fought next to Ortega in the 1970s to end a political dynasty in the country, a dynasty led by the Somoza family. Why is he going against people who used to be his allies and comrades?
0: He's going against them because these people have no longer his allies and have said publicly over and over that they believe that Daniel Ortega has betrayed the principles and goals of the revolution. Some of them were given the title of comandantes, that's the highest uh, rank that anybody in the revolutionary ranks can receive. And we're talking about people like Dora Maria Tellez, who launched two attacks that were crucial in the triumph of the Sandinista revolution. We're talking about Luis Carrion, one of the nine comandantes of the Sandinista government between 1979 and 1990. He was one of the nine uh, members of the Sandinista National Directorate. And last but not least, former Sandinista Vice President, Sergio Ramirez. He is now outside of the country and has no plans to come back because he presumes he would also be arrested. So it's a very long list of people whose revolutionary uh, credentials, you would think, are impeccable.
1: So in your reporting on this, you included um, a statement from one of those former Sandinista leaders who helped break Ortega out of prison during uh, that time period. What do people make of this? Is there a surprise or is this something that people should have seen coming?
0: You're talking about Hugo Torres. He's a retired Sandinista general who rescued Ortega from prison in the 1970s and who, of course, risked his life to do that.
1: Shortly before his arrest, Torres posted a scathing attack on Ortega on social media. 46 years ago, I risked my life to get Daniel Ortega out of jail. I am 73 years old. I never thought that at this stage of my life, I would be fighting in a peaceful, civic way against a new dictatorship.
0: I would say that most people, myself included, and I lived in Nicaragua during those years, the Sandinista revolution and of the Contra War, we were sh- very surprised. Until now, they had been harassed, but somehow it was thought that they were untouchable because of their, their trajectory, their reputation, their history. But uh, clearly, we're seeing now a break with all that.
1: Remind us how Ortega got into power.
0: Daniel Ortega was one of many of a movement called the Sandinista Front for National Liberation. He and many others joined this rebel group or guerrilla group and fought against the Somoza family. In their case, the last member of that dynasty, Anastasio Somoza. Initially, the United States government had long supported the Somosas, but eventually the brutality of the Somoza government was such that even the United States, at the very end, withdrew its blatant support for Anastasio Somoza. But they also had countries like Panama arming the Sandinistas. You had Costa Rica providing a safe haven and an operation space for the Sandinista rebels until eventually, on July the nineteenth of nineteen seventy-nine, the Sandinista revolution triumphed, and Somoza fled the country.
1: The Sandinistas came to power during the Cold War, and they had an ally in the region that wasn't a U.S. favorite, Cuba.
0: And the U.S. government made what many consider, and myself included, another of those typical mistakes they make when dealing with Latin America is that they see everything that's pink, they see it as bright red. And they saw Nicaragua and the Sandinistas as a new Cuba, as a new operations base for the Soviet Union.
1: The new administration views the U.S.-Soviet
0: rivalry as the world's central struggle. To the Reagan team, the cluster of tiny nations
1: in Central America seems the right battleground.
0: And they began to form a counter-revolutionary group called the Contras, with a base in Honduras and a much smaller base in Costa Rica to fight against the Sandinistas and overthrow them. So we saw that the Sandinista revolution very quickly had to defend itself, not from Anastasio Somoza, but from these counter-revolutionaries paid, uniformed, and, and trained by the United States.
1: That war against the Contras lasted over a decade. Tens of thousands of people died. It finally
0: ended in 1990. The Contras lost some of their funding from the U.S. Congress because the uh, dirty tricks that were played and human rights violations and so forth and so on. But what happened is that there were negotiations that took place.
1: The Democrats wanted to give the Central American peace process a chance. Talks between the Contras and the Sandinistas had been scheduled
0: And eventually they came to an agreement for all sides to lay down their arms and for new elections to take place. And to everybody's surprise, Daniel Ortega lost.
1: Defeat in Nicaragua. After a revolution, a decade in power, and a bloody civil war, Daniel Ortega and his Sandinista regime accepted their overwhelming rejection, sadly, but with dignity.
0: He lost against Violeta Chamorro, who was the widow of Pedro Joaquín Chamorro, one of the martyrs of the Sandinista revolution.
1: Violeta Chamorro was president from 1990 to 1997. She's the mother of Cristiana Chamorro, the presidential hopeful who's been placed under house arrest by Ortega's government since June 2nd of this year.
0: And the mother of Pedro Joaquín Chamorro, who's also in prison, and the mother of Carlos Chamorro, who's now in exile. So you're seeing a pattern here. It looks like Ortega's also gone after the Chamorros in a very big way.
1: So let's stay on the Chamorros, because one of the things that have caught a lot of international attention is the treatment of the press by Ortega's government. Recently, government authorities summoned at least 16 journalists to give witness testimony related to a money laundering investigation investigation into Cristiana Chamorro, you've personally spoken to her brother, who happens to be one of Nicaragua's most influential journalists, Carlos Fernando Chamorro, and who fled last month to Costa Rica. So tell us more about him.
0: It's very interesting because Carlos Fernando Chamorro and his sister Cristiana never saw eye to eye. They were not allies during the original period of the Sandinistas, on the contrary. But now they're on the same side of the battle, if you like. He runs a news organization called Confidential.
1: Ortega's government recently raided the office of that news organization, Confidential. This is what Carlos Chamorro told Lucia when that happened.
0: Los we journalists practice journalism, not treason. They destroyed everything took all our equipment and arrested our cameraman. They're trying to crush any voice that challenges the dictatorship,
1: in our case, journalists who hold power to account.
0: I asked Carlos Fernando, is this an attack against the Chamorros out of spite for the fact that their mother, Violeta Chamorro, had beat Daniel Ortega back in 1990? And he says no, despite what many people think, he says that it's simply the fact that the Chamorro name does carry a lot of weight and that Cristiana Chamorro's pre-candidacy as a presidential hopeful would have united, presumably, the opposition as it did during the 1990s under Violeta Chamorro and made her a very solid candidate to defeat Daniel Ortega during the presidential elections in November of this year. She was charged with something very vague, very odd. She was under suspicion of money laundering for her foundation, which is a foundation that receives money from the United States, from uh, European countries, to basically to fund free journalism. She was also accused of ideological deviation, which is apparently a crime, a very odd name. But that was the first person who was accused of that.
1: So we're talking about people with some amount of influence in the country, the children of former presidents, political leaders, journalists who are prominent. What does all of this mean for the average Nicaraguan? What are the people saying? Has there been protesting on the streets?
0: Nobody can protest right now without fear of being thrown immediately in jail. In fact, going out onto the streets with the Nicaraguan flag is associated with the opposition movement, the blue and white movement. And the Nicaraguan flag, for those who don't know, is blue and white. So people are pretty much staying under the radar for now. And I say for now because I spoke to one of the uh, people who was uh, crucial in the last social upheaval in Nicaragua, which was back in April of 2018. You may recall that tens of thousands of people took to the streets to demand the ouster of Ortega. More than 300 people were killed in a very short amount of time. So I spoke to one of the student leaders of that uprising, Lester Aleman.
1: Lester told Lucia in June that Ortega is trying to prevent voters from going to the polls. The idea is to generate total discredit so that there is massive abstention. That way Daniel Ortega can say, I won fair and square, I just didn't have any competition.
0: And he says that while people aren't able to go out now and protest, he thinks that a, a catalyst is needed, something to trigger a mass revolt again, and that could be the November Elections, if it is seen that those elections are not free and fair and under conditions that would allow for a real competition.
1: On July 5th, Lester was arrested with a group of student and farm worker leaders. So, when it comes to the international community and what they are making of all of this, there have been attempts from the governments of Mexico and Argentina to mediate over these detentions and arrests. But neither Ortega nor his wife, who happens to be the vice president, have been willing to talk. As for the United States, a spokesman for the U.S. State Department referred to Ortega's actions as a, quote, campaign of terror. But not much has been done other than that. Considering the history between the two countries, the United States and Nicaragua, and the U.S.'s meddling, in Nicaraguan affairs, why do you think the U.S. is not intervening in this situation?
0: History does weigh so heavily on politics in Latin America and in the relations with the United States. The United States has its own strategic interests. And if you look at what's happening in the region, in Central America, Nicaragua and Costa Rica are the only two countries that seem to be from the point of view of Drug trafficking, violence, and a mass exodus of migrants, stable countries. That is an incentive for the United States not to really stir the boat. Because you couldn't have Daniel Ortega say, open the floodgates and let those migrants go. The Cubans did it with the boat people long ago, back in uh, the 1990s. And Nicaragua could do exactly the same thing. So there seems to be a strategic reason, in my view, why the United States does not want to really pressure the Ortega government too much, other than just things like, this is not good, this is bad, we condemn. But they have also imposed economic sanctions against selective members of the government. But that is not going to really make a big difference. We all know that. The thing is that the economy of Nicaragua depends on the United States, Nothing that Argentina or Mexico can say or do or the Organization of American States is going to really make a difference.
1: So, Lucia, Ortega has passed various laws, like one dealing with cybersecurity that allows for the jailing of journalists. He approved changes to the constitutional term limit, and he's been in what many have called an indefinite presidency So where do you see this government going?
0: Well, I see him getting himself re-elected in November. Opposition groups that really could compete are either banned or having their uh, candidates thrown in prison for long enough to make them not eligible to run. So it really depends on what happens between now and November. I don't know whether Daniel Ortega and his wife... Rosario are willing to make any concessions, which doesn't seem likely as things stand now, or whether there will be sufficient pressure from the United States and to a lesser degree from Europe to make him change his mind. But if they do go to elections with practically no viable opposition, Daniel Ortega could win the elections because he will have all of the votes. Most people will stay home. There will be a very large abstention rate. And people will be, will be so demoralized that they won't go to vote.
1: Lucia, I love talking to you on stories like this because of your lived historical knowledge. You were there for so much of the history behind what you're reporting on now. So what is it like for you to be covering this story right now, knowing all that you know?
0: It is an extraordinary story. I mean, you know, you've heard somebody who fought alongside other people, almost died, was imprisoned for seven years, was tortured, and who came to power, if you like, for the first time in one of the most celebrated revolutions of our uh, time, really. The Sandinista revolution was praised and was seen as a symbol of all that was good, (laughs) or could be good. And it wasn't a Marxist-Leninist revolution. People supported it. It had wide support from all over the region and much of the world. So it really did spark a lot of hope for what would happen in the future. To see so much of that disintegrate in such a relatively short time in historical terms is, is really something I could never have predicted back in the old days.
1: And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Nigeen Oliai, Dina Kiswe, Brianka Tilbe, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya el is our engagement producer. Tom Finton is our story editor. And Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. If you want to learn more about the history of Nicaragua and see Lucia's reporting, we'll be linking to it on our social media accounts. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter at AJTheTake. We'll be back on Friday.